Hello and welcome to Michigan and Other Mayhem, the show about Michigan, murder, mysteries, histories, and other mayhem from around the world. Your hosts are Allie and Jen. Okay, Jen, let's do this thing. Oh, Allie. Jen, what you doing, girl? Well, I got a clinging dog, a clingy dog that's trying to sit on my lap. So if people hear him breathing, that's it's him. It's a thing. You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know what's up with him today. Drive me nuts. I've only been home for 20 minutes. Oh, shit. He's like extra want to love you. Yeah. I don't want to love him. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I was going to say, it's not even like a stormy day where, you know, sometimes they want an extra little love and scary yeah. out. Yeah. You know what starts next week? What? The tr- the George Wagner's trial for the Roden family uh, massacre. Are you ready for it? Yeah, they pick they pick their jurors. It's nine women, three men, six alternates. They like took the jury to the four crime scenes, the Wagner farm, and then the the Wagner farm, and then the home where Billy, George, and Angela lived, I think. Oh, okay. And then I and then I learned. So Jake, that's the guy that had the kid with one of the women that were murdered. Yeah. And his plea deal is if he testifies to the prosecution satisfaction in those words. Okay. In both Billy, his father, and George, his brother's trial, he does, if he does that, and they're happy with what he says, they'll take the death penalty off Billy and George's Um, off their trial. charges, okay. off their charges. Okay, so and if he doesn't, then it's back on. That's fair. Yeah, well, I just don't get it. I think it's well, too open ended. What do you, you, what's prosecution satisfaction? Well, what if he does stuff like says, you know, I plead the fifth or suddenly doesn't remember? I would say, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? So I, if they just said testify and he just doesn't, you know, any like, I don't know, is a dick about testifying, then. This at least still gives them an out. I would assume Jake talked to the two of them and we're like, you don't want the death penalty, do you? You know what I mean? Because what happens if they do? Yeah. I don't think they do, though. I don't know. Some people. Yeah. Well, if he gave it to him as an option, then he must be worried that they're going to get it. Oh, well, they're getting it. Yeah, probably. I mean, you're having a trial in a small community and those are your jurors who have pro- half of them know these people or have seen them. And you murdered a family. You murdered a whole entire family. In like, four different I, places. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know how you even think you're not getting the death penalty. Yeah, I'm just saying. Yeah. Well, they just won't. They just won't put it on the table for the, the prosecution. Well, right. What's going on with you? Nothing much. You know, Uh, I was going to tell you uh, about one story, but I'm going to actually do that next week. This one I want to tell you about um, 
you know, I'm watching the Discovery Plus. There's one called Deadly Women, and um, it has two, like, so I just picked some random Michigan Deadly Women episodes, and guess what they both had in common? What? Lists. Women? Lists. The women made lists. lists. Really? Lists. Like a grocery list. Yeah. L-I-S-T-S. Yeah, a list. Okay. More than one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I was like, deadly women. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do you want to go first? Yeah. Right. So mine's an, an update from a previous podcast we did on Beth Alsup Suds, A-L-S-U-P hyphen S-U-D-Z. Okay. So Beth's just tell you about Beth. Beth was said to be a positive person and a happy, she always had a happy demeanor. She loved dancing and singing to her favorite pop songs, which totally that's what I do when I'm cleaning the house. Absolutely. I did it today. She enjoyed baking for her family and in her spare time, um, she liked going to concerts, things like that. Okay. So Beth died on March 17, 2019 at age 56. She was found dead by, uh, she had blunt force trauma. She had, and she, she had failed to show up to work. And so there was a welfare check done by the police. Now, people must have been really close to her at work. Because I just don't think somebody from my work is calling for a welfare check on me. Um, St. Joe, that's how we found one of our coworkers were dead, is they didn't come to work and we got worried. Oh, goodness. And sent the police to look at him. And it happened once to my cousin Brandy when she worked at Burger King. It's when these people show up all the time. They always show up. They never call in. Or if they do call in, you know, know, their time starts. And then one day they don't. You automatically something's wrong. (laughs) That's how we knew. Yeah. So in in the house, Waterford police found Beth's husband, Thomas Suds, age 71, unconscious from an apparent overdose. He was he was taken to the hospital and actually it was there where he was arraigned for first degree premeditated murder. Oh, at the hospital. Yeah, they didn't even wait. Okay. And then at the time, the judge denied bond. A WWJ News Radio 950 article reported on August 2021 that jury selection had began for Thomas's trial. And it was stated his defense would argue temporary insanity. When When he decided to beat his wife to death with a hammer. Uh huh. And his lawyer believed that, you know, it's a great defense because he's obviously, you know, wasn't sane at the time because he had no violent history. He was said to be a model citizen. And obviously it was temporary insanity. Okay. 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 No, but okay. Right. Yeah. 
It was said Thomas had been institutionalized prior to killing his wife for mental health issues. Entering the trial, it could go two ways. Jury finds him not insane. He faces life without parole. Jury finds him insane. He faces 60 days minimum at a state's forensic center. Okay. And then he would be released when he was deemed safe for society. Never. But right. Cool. The trial began September 2021. The jury ultimately found that he was sane and he was guilty of first degree murder. His lawyer stated in the Oakland County press that they would appeal and was shocked that almost all experts stated Thomas was mentally ill. And during the trial, it was said Thomas didn't remember the attack because he had taken two sleeping pills, but she was beat by a hammer. Wait a second. Wait, is the problem he's mentally ill or is the problem the sleeping pills? I I think it's like a whole, he's going for a whole, like both. Okay. Okay. You know, it's a mixture. And but under she, this, inf- he didn't wake up from this whatever fever dream while he beat her with a hammer. Well, he, yeah, no. And not only did he beat her with a hammer while she laid in bed, it was reported that he stabbed her over 20 times. Oh, uh, yeah, no, no, yeah. And then, and so here they think, oh, this is crazy. How could he be? found guilty but then later thomas you know later when thomas woke up and seen his wife covered with blood i just want to say that's when he tried to kill himself supposedly okay but there was a suicide note found and that note was found in the master bathroom okay and mercury news article had quotes from the note and it said she drove me crazy with all her affairs And it thanked two named men. And in the message, it told, he wrote to his daughter to make sure she takes care of the cat. What? So you got to be sane if you're writing a note. Absolutely. You're not in some like drug induced fever dream. You're writing a note. You're using punctuation and shit. Right. Prosecutors said Thomas killed his wife of 15 years out of jealousy and anger. And one of the men named in the suicide note took the stand and admitted the two were having were in a romantic relationship up to her death. In November 2021, Thomas was sentenced to life in prison without parole. And at his sentencing, the judge called his actions vicious and barbaric. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's crazy. wow. Thank you for finishing that up for us, man. That's just right. crazy. Right. Yeah. All right. So I got my stuff from, well, I did use M Live because don't I always? I read, I got one article from Emily Monticelli and one from Ryan Boldry. And then I watched Deadly Women, Hot Tempers, Cold Hearts because, you know, and then I watched Deadly Women, Love of Money. <laughs> 
Oh my god. Yeah. You're you're getting your money's worth out of that Discovery Plus. Oh, I'm riding this horse to the ground, man. Okay. And then I also looked up stuff on Michigan Otis, which is the offender tracking information system, and I did read a Holland Sentinel article by um, Curtis Wildfog. So here's here's the two stories I got for you. One was Teresa Lynn Petto. She was 43 years old in 2015. She lived in Kalamazoo County, Michigan, and she was a divorced mom with two children. At a, high, at a social gathering held years before, years before 2015, she bumped into an old friend named Brent Kick. And Teresa had always found Brent attractive, and he was considered to be, you know, professionally successful. So Teresa had rheumatoid arthritis. She was struggling to make ends meet with her disability checks. But their relationship went on for a while as basically friends with benefits and everybody seemed mutually happy with the situation, right? Teresa found out that she was unexpectedly pregnant in 2003 with Brent's baby. To Teresa, this means that their relationship now changes to a permanent relationship status. Brent does not feel the same, right? He's like, okay, so you're pregnant. That's cool. I'll help take care of the baby, but um, we are not together. He doesn't move in. He does visit the baby and he actually helps pay the bills, right? But she's still struggling because she's taking care of a newborn. She already has two kids. She has an autoimmune disease. She's struggling with depression. It is still hard. When the baby's about three weeks old, Teresa calls emergency services to tell them that her baby's blue in color. And Teresa said she doesn't know what's wrong with the baby, but when they do check the baby later, it's found out that the baby has skull fractures and that female infant does. Now, Teresa began to struggle with her um, mental health uh, more than the, um, oh, I said in 2003. That was the wrong year. You'll have to forgive me. Okay. Okay. I forgive you. Okay. Thank you. 2011. Anyways, Teresa begins to struggle with her mental health more. And after the baby dies, she's still dealing with postpartum depression. Brent is at this point, like Teresa's sole emotional support. And it just becomes too much for him. He breaks up with Teresa. Now, sometime later, he then romantically connects with a coworker. She was 25 years old in 2015, and her name was Rachel Drafta. Now, Rachel graduated from Michigan State University. She worked as a marketing coordinator. She had recently attended a Detroit Tigers baseball game that she enjoyed with her Aunt Cindy shortly before her death. Now, Rachel had hoped one day to work with the Detroit Tigers, and her brother William said that people remember Rachel for her laugh, her humor, and just so much more. So Teresa finds out that Brent is now dating a woman named Rachel, who is almost 20 years her junior. She tells her friend that she believes that Rachel's taken her place with Brent. And this is this is despite the fact that the relationship between Rachel and Brent has been over and that it was never official and it was never a permanent commitment. Right. Teresa starts to stalk the couple and work on a written plan to kill Rachel. And she believes that Brent may to her if Rachel is gone. Teresa paid for and created a murder kit complete with guns, ammo, duct tape, garbage bags, etc. On the four-year anniversary of the death of Teresa's baby with Brent, she executes her plan. Huh. On June 24th, 2015, oh yeah, this is the written plan, Rachel walks out of the home that she shares with her parents to go to work. She's just minding her business, just an innocent young lady. As she's walking down her driveway, Teresa approaches her. Teresa demands to talk to Rachel. Rachel does not want to comply. 
Rachel tries to call Brent on her cell phone to let him know that Teresa's there. He picks up the phone and they have a moment to speak before Teresa acts. Teresa pulls out a gun from her bag and she shoots Rachel. And Rachel ends up dying two days later in the hospital. Rachel ends up dying two days later. Yeah. Okay. Teresa's quickly found walking by Rachel's house. She's wearing a backpack that had trash bags, zip ties, rubber gloves. It also had a 22 caliber um, and ammunition in it and a 22 caliber revolver registered to, re to Teresa was found under a camper in Rachel's driveway. And inside Teresa's Jeep, which was found like nearby where she was walking, were two kitchen knives, more zip ties, a machete, and a pair of scissors. And notes that Teresa had made out about Rachel's murder were found in her home. And I'm just going to read you a couple examples. If I start to chicken, recall what she did and of them being together. She should never even had even been an option. Like, those are just some of the things she wrote. Oh, my gosh. So she wrote so she would continue to do it. Yeah, she wrote herself like, if you start to chicken out, remember what she did. Think of them being naked together. Jesus. Yeah. No shit. Teresa um, pled guilty but mentally ill during her trial in 2016. In 2017, Teresa tried to withdraw her plea, saying that she was pressured by her attorney, you know, saying, you know, mentally ill um, defense. And so she was denied the motion. Teresa was found guilty of murder and conspiracy to commit murder, and she was sentenced to life in prison after judgment was also denied. Teresa Petto died at age 50, twice the lifespan of Rachel, on March 5th, 2022, at the Women's Huron Valley Correctional Facility in Ypsilanti, Michigan. Staff was alerted to something being wrong with her medically when Teresa's cellmate got a guard's attention. She had fallen on the floor, and no foul play has been suspected. She dead. Huh. Yeah. She's and dead. The, she's dead. And the second one is Jose Hernandez. So Jose Patricio Hernandez was living in Ottawa County, Michigan in January of 2014. Jose had immigrated out of Mexico and he was creating a solid life for himself in Michigan. He was 30 years old when he first met Marianne Castorina. Castorina. I heard it a million times. I know how to say it. <laughs> Marianne, <laughs> who was 32 years old when they first met, she was a single mother to two sons, Jose and Marianne, and had the two boys move in with him. He has a good job. He's really putting in the hours. And he buys Marianne a Hummer vehicle as a gift. So he's buying her nice stuff, right? He's providing financially for her and the kids. And Marianne, in return, she keeps the house running. You know, she does the house stuff. And she works as the family's accountant. So... All of a sudden, it says, okay, so when Marianne felt like the family needed more income, it's now the show's like, she hired a local gang member. And I was like, probably just oh. a person she knew. You know what I mean? Probably right. somebody she knew from the business, maybe someone from around town. But you'd be, how, you'd be surprised how hard it is to find a gang member, okay? <laughs> I mean, if you don't know what you're looking for, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, so this person builds a Molotov cocktail. They break into Jose's car and set it on fire because he has this, like, um, really beautiful car that it's not his everyday car it's like his fancy dream car sets it on fire marianne handles all the paperwork claiming to be jose's fiance and she gets forty thousand dollars from the car insurance jose doesn't know about this money at all marianne uses this money to go on vacation to california while in california she meets a man they fly together to las vegas nevada and they get married marianne then brings her new man home to Michigan. 
And at one point, she even like brings the man to meet Marion's sister. And Marion's sister's like, you're still engaged to Jose. And she's like, yeah, don't, don't worry. I'll work it out. I'll work it out. What the hell? Yes. And she had to know this guy in California. No. They, you don't just go to California and no, run into really somebody. Does, yeah, no. Just really does meet him. And on a whim, they get married. Trust me, it's going to get even worse for this poor guy. You're going to feel bad for him. <laughs> so... She's like telling her sister, like, don't, don't worry, I got it, I got it. So her, Jose works the night shift. So he doesn't notice that Marianne is now living like a double life. So she spends days with Jose when he's, you know, when he's awake, she's with him. He goes to work nights with the new guy. Marianne then comes up with another plan that involves insurance money. Cause remember they already set the car on fire, got some money. Mm -hmm. This time it involves the death of Jose with her being the sole beneficiary of his insurance. He signs the insurance contract um, it was seven hundred and fifty thousand, but she gets him to sign one for a one point five million, and then she makes a list of what must be done to successfully accomplish the task of getting the insurance money. Okay, hold on. Yeah. Does no one that plans on murdering somebody think of these things? Like she's so one dumb. She's one so why? Dumb. Yeah. Like one why are they always so greedy? Why in all these? cases we do it's like life if life insurance is involved somebody has gotten an extra policy or added to it or three policies or yeah right yeah. and it's like you just what's wrong with seven hundred fifty thousand dollars exactly oh she makes so many more dumb fucking mistakes like i can't even I, trust me i will go over mm. a few of them all right so some of her some of her list says stuff like quote don't leave footprints in the snow because this is michigan right it's january at this point Wear gloves. Make sure there aren't any. This is her list. So on January 4th, 2014, Jose is now 38 years old and Marianne is 40. She calls up the same guy who set fire to Jose's car for insurance money. His name is Anthony De La Garza. And at this point, he's now 20 years old on the night of the murder. So he had previously had a sexual relationship with Marianne. And Anthony actually says to her, I want more money. Because at first she's like, I'll give you 50000 if you kill 75 And then she's like, shit, I'll give it to you. I did move the insurance up to $1.5 million, right? Jose <laughs> leaves for work. It's dark. He works the night shift. It's Michigan. It's cold. It's, it's a snowy night. And he takes the time to warm up his car and, like, brush the snow off. Anthony has a ball joint remover, which is this. It's a large and long metal pipe. And he just ran up on Jose with it and hit him in the head as he had his back to Anthony. Now, Anthony had worn plastic bags around his shoes so he wouldn't leave footprints. Because remember, that was part of the list. Don't leave footprints. Mm -hmm. This causes him to slip because now he can't get any traction. And he, But he had already like hit Jose, which had knocked him kind of like, not silly, but knocked him so he wasn't quite thinking well. And he was still able to climb on top of Jose and hit him on his head. Now, Marianne, she's waiting nearby in the car and she's watching everything happen because I'm watching it all happen. Anthony gets back in the car with Marianne and she asks Anthony to make sure he said, like, go over there and make sure he said, or I'm not going to get a payout. So everything's done. Marianne leaves the scene of the crime with Anthony and then she comes back to quote unquote discover Jose's dead body. Now, the police is that on the list? Yes. Police Jesus right away as she fits three items on the list of things that make you look suspicious. One, you are the spouse or the significant. 
Already often you're guilty too. The person who profits from the death is often guilty. That's you. Three, the person who finds the body is often guilty. Like you, you literally did three of the main things. Now, when detectives search Marianne and Jose's house, that's when they find her checklist of how to successfully. Oh Jose. my God. Yeah. She's like, no, no, that's not a checklist. It's an idea for a movie script. And then they're like, really? And then she keeps trying to like flip the script around. And eventually the connections made between Marianne and Anthony de la Garza. So Anthony de la Garza, he goes on trial first. He was given access to a plea deal that would give him a charge of murder in the second degree, which means he doesn't have to go to jail forever. And conspiracy to commit murder in second degree if he testifies against Marianne. So Anthony takes the deal and he was given the sentence of 20 years minimum and 40 years maximum, releasing him from the prison system between the ages of, of 40 and 60 years old. That's how old he's going to be because he was 20 when he did it. They're like minimum of 20, maximum of 40. Marianne was found guilty of solicitation of murder, uh, conspiracy to forget, to, to forget. No, she wasn't. <laughs> conspiracy to commit first degree premeditated murder, first degree premeditated murder, and lying to a peace officer during a violent crime investigation. And that is one of those times where I think she pissed somebody off. Right. You know what I mean, when they're hitting her with all the things they can. So for lying, she received a sentence of one to five years, one to five months, one year to five months. I'm sorry, one year to five months to four years max. For solicitation of murder, she received a sentence of 15 to 45 years. And for first degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder, she receives life in jail for those two. Marianne wow. filed an appear saying that the previous arson and insurance fraud committed between Anthony and Marianne shouldn't have been admissible in court. And the appellate court was like, nah, it's good. It shows that you tried to commit insurance fraud before and you have the same accomplice as last time. And the appeal bounced through a few courts and it just landed on the side of the prosecution. And in the end, nobody does get prosecuted for that fire, though. Anthony De La Garza appealed to his sentence saying that his legal team told him that if he cooperated, he would get a lighter sentence. And he received two to four decades behind bars and he felt like that wasn't lighter. And he also lost his appeal because like we could have put you away forever. Right. Yeah. So. Dumbasses. Yeah. 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 So he'll get out between age of either 40 or 60. I don't get the whole list making thing. If you got to make a list of, you know, how to, I don't even think you should have to make a list. Like I'm a list maker though. I'm a list maker, but um, I I know lists are also evidence. Why do why do you not burn that shit? Right. I like burn it, burn it. I mean that she really thought the movie script thing was going to go as planned. She really did. It didn't work. She tried. She's so pizza. Yeah. All right. All right, Jen. I will next time. I said I was going to do that. Um, the story I'm going to do next time, I said I was going to do it this time, but it's a woman who was murdered, and I tried to look up how to say her name and her daughter's name, and I don't know if you ever Google the things where you try to find people's name, but her yeah. name is spelled N-A-D-A, so I click on it, it goes, Nada, Nada. I was like, okay, and then it goes, Nada, Nada. Uh, and I was like, you bastards. So we give you an A for daughter. effort. Yeah, I'm going to call her, even they did it with her daughter's name too. So I'm going to just call her by her last name probably. That's a good plan. Yeah. All right, Jen, I'll see you in a little. All right, bye. Bye.